Welcome to Addiction and the Family, Episode 24, Relationships in Long-Term Recovery. How has addiction affected your family? It robbed me of my father. Addiction's affected my family in absolutely every way. Um, it has caused a lot of turmoil. It goes back to what I understand is at least three generations. It robbed my daughter of her mother. It robbed my mother of her daughter. Addiction has made our family quite challenging. It affected my family tremendously. It's affected my relationship with my sister where I wouldn't I'd go for months without talking to her. It's a very difficult thing for everybody involved. It doesn't just affect the, the one individual. It's a disease that affects the whole family. Addiction has spread not only genetically through like some of my uh, relatives and I assume ancestors. It's uh, generational. I think of him every day. Welcome to Addiction in the Family, a podcast by and for family members of anyone with an addiction. My name is Casey Arriaga, and I'm a clinical social worker and addiction counselor at both Windmill Wellness Ranch and In Mind Out Emotional Wellness Centers, and I'm the author of Realistic Hope, the family survival guide for facing alcoholism and other addictions. And I'm Kira Arriaga, addiction counselor intern and recovery coach at Windmill. Casey and I were in our addictions together for over 10 years and have now been in recovery together for almost twice that long. I've led hundreds of family workshops, but just as important is that Kira and I have lived the experience of being family to addiction as both children and adults. Join us as we offer experience, strength, and realistic hope about how you and your family can find recovery together. In this episode, Casey and I compare notes with Brian and Tamara about long-term relationships in recovery. You may remember Brian and Tamara from their previous interview in episode 14 of this podcast. And that was a really cool episode, but man, I really like this one. So tell you what, we're going to launch that in just a minute after a couple of words from one of our sponsors. Addiction in the Family is brought to you in part by the generous support of Windmill Wellness Ranch, an innovative treatment center located in the beautiful hill country of Texas and serving clients and their families from throughout the United States. I'm Shannon Mollish, CEO of Windmill Wellness Ranch. We offer the best in neurotechnology to heal the brain and the best therapy to heal the mind. Call us today at 210-762-6217. Welcome back. So like I said, we've got a great, I'm not even going to call it an interview. Really, it's a conversation between two couples about recovery in recovery. Here we go. You're the first people to ever come back on the podcast. So this is so cool. Happy about that. And we get to kind of check in. It's been about a year. And last time we were talking about anniversaries and milestones. This time we're looking to have a conversation about growth in relationships, especially when multiple family members are in recovery. Kind of seeing, first of all, just update over the last year, what's new with both of you. Then we want to talk a little bit about what life was like before you were recovering together, before we were recovering together. And we really liked the idea of doing it this way because the two of you have really only known each other in recovery. So you get that perspective. And then we have the perspective of two people who were 10 years in active addiction together and then got into recovery and have now been together for 33 years. So we have tripled the life expectancy of our relationship. Wow. Because at 10 years in, it was about to go off a cliff. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and in there, we want to talk, maybe touch on how each person works on the recovery individually and together now, balancing time apart and together, role of spirituality and recovery and relationship, dealing with expectations. And in there, some of the expectations we talked about in uh, the episode a year ago when you all were on, you know, what challenges we all had in the last year, how we dealt with them, what we thought 2021 was going to be like. And here we are at the end, kind of retrospective and just generally sharing our experience, strength and hope through exchanging some of our stories as individuals and couples. And so with that. Yeah. So it's been 11 months since our last interview. And I wondered uh, what's new with you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, since we last talked and met. It's been an up and down year, of course. Uh, there's been quite a few deaths this year. By the grace of God, we're still here um, kicking. I can't say there's any particular thing that we did as like uh, something special besides working program, but I think we just got graced and blessed with you know the gift of uh, not dying this year. You know, how many funerals, babe? Three. We both lost one of our 
close friends in recovery. That was something we each had to deal with this year. And so it was really nice to have the support. But, but it was really difficult to go through, you know, yeah, of, course. of course. It's just, it's just rough, man. It just reminds you that we're dealing with a deadly disease and it was made worse by the pandemic. You know, the pandemic definitely exacerbated people's symptoms, man. It caused a lot of a lot of injury and harm. Now, the good things, man, we were able to do pretty good in the crypto market, man. Baby got a new little Jeep, a little, little, little RAV4 that she loves. Nice. I got a little Toyota Tacoma. It's just like, so there were some good things that came out of this year, man. Uh, I got a new job. Oh, come on, right. Coming over to a new company, a company that appreciates the work that I do, just shows appreciation for the employees. Like she likes to get up to go to work now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> everything everything is different. It's so different today. And honestly, like even um I've had a lot of health problems over the years. And you know, even when Brian and I were dating, like he was really supportive of me, even with all the health problems. And oddly enough, coming over to um, a new home and a new job, like a lot of my health problems have just gone away. <laughs> and so um, being able to recognize that perhaps a lot of my health struggles were stress related, it's really put a whole different perspective on life for both of us, I guess Definitely. I think. That's amazing. Yeah. Good for you. Thank you. Good for you. Yeah. Never underestimate the value of having a job you like. And a life you like. And a life you like and a husband that you like. Well, something I'd want to check as we're talking in this episode about being in relationship, multiple family members in recovery at the same time. What did you see in, in how you were able to support each other in recovery going through this year? So... I have to look at our relationship from the lens of my past relationships and what I wanted in a partner and what she provides me now. So I always wanted like to be able to work from home and do my schoolwork. And uh, I needed someone to kind of help me and provide some added support and peace. And all of my partners I've had in the past, it was just this some type of chaos or it was my manufactured chaos but I could never just be a total piece of she really allows me to space she's just a real true trooper and a partner man so toward the end of the semester she knows this at the end of every semester she knows I get really kind of stressed out and no one sees it more than she does everybody else sees like another version of me but she sees like kind of like the struggle and uh, the turmoil that I go through and she's right there she's really evenly killed so when you're talking about support when my uh i lost my uncle this year i lost uh my friend it's just like uh i don't know how else to describe it but she intuitively knows when i start to go through stuff and she's there before i hit rock bottom in my emotions i guess you would say i'm, I'm super thankful to have someone to help me and not like when i'm going through something start asking me a bunch of questions and for lack of better words effing with me when i'm trying to you know, she knows what kind of back off of this, kind of help me through stuff. And it's the flow of the relationship is really pretty good. Brian, I guess I also want to ask, where do you see your own recovery informing how you support your wife? The, it's kind of like I said before, the lens that I have is from all the other relationships. And so when I do step work in my recovery and I think about the mistakes and the harms and the damage I've caused in my past relationships, and the traits, the humility, and the kindness and the respect that I want to carry into this relationship, and and the prayer and the meditation and us keeping God first. We hit our knees every night before we go to sleep, and this us having like a one mind going forward. But I would say not just my recovery, but our recovery kind of bonds the relationship. I don't look at it like I'm doing my recovery and it adds to. It's like our recovery is coming together. Like my mouth or my mind might think something that's not real. And instead of it coming out, I don't. <laughs> and it usually straightens itself out. Like uh, I might talk to my sponsor or talk to my, I got a good buddy, Steven, the uh, same guy who hooked us up. I might talk to things with him. Everything kind of meshes together. And the things that I was going to say, the chaos that I might've been about to uh, manufacture, I usually see the answer and I'm like, I'm glad I didn't say nothing. 
Right. Right. Uh, Actually, I'll I'll let you talk on it, babe, when you talked about uh, the chaos that we don't see that we thought we would have. Mm. We were just talking, I want to say yesterday or the day before, about how in our relationship, you know, in the beginning of a relationship, you're all flirty and you want to be around each other all the time and everything. But then, like, getting to know each other and getting in the flow with each other, um, there were a couple of times that we would come to each other right around the same time, the same period, and and we would both be really uncomfortable. And um, and the but we would break it down with each other, and there was absolutely nothing wrong. We were both just completely uncomfortable being okay. And. And we, we both came to that point in our relationship where like we were ready to just toss things up, like just to, cause we're not comfortable with an easy life. It's crazy to say that like the the ease of our relationship was something that we had to work through. <laughs> like, it was a difficult time we had to work through. <laughs> and that, that was really bizarre. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. One of the words Brian kept using to describe like how we work through things together is uh, is peace and that like we both get to feel so deeply just because honestly like the one thing that comes to mind is like pause when agitated like there was a time in my life when I didn't know how to pause <laughs> and um, and and so just being able to pause and just to be there be present for the other person but also to let them go through their process because like when something hits you you have to process it in your head before you necessarily want to talk about it or even know what you feel about it. And so we just give each other that peace and that respect to let each other cope with our own feelings, but we're there the whole time. And then when he kind of doesn't know how to talk about something, I'll, I'll start to prod him with, you know, probing questions, but slowly and patiently and just like, so what's going on? So how do you feel about this? And and um, <laughs> so it's really just learning how to communicate with each other in a healthy manner. And it's all because of just being sober and, and just having that, that peaceful feeling in our own selves. We're able to um, hold that to each other. Yeah. That's beautiful. And I'd, I'd like to speak to that because, as I mentioned at the top, you know, we were in both in addiction when we met and didn't know it. Oh, we just thought we were, we just thought we were cooler than other people, yes. and the, the, the rules of the little people did not apply to the amazing, cool future rock stars that we were. Hard to believe, I know. I know, but so uh, I saw the picture, baby, young picture. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was twenty. Kira was twenty-two. We were originally met just as songwriting partners. We weren't even looking to date, but I was ramping up in sex and love addiction, which had been there all my life, but was really kind of starting to come into my own with it, sort of discover my addictive powers. But I didn't know that. Like, I didn't have any words for that kind of thing. So chaos was like home field. That's that's what I knew. And that's what we knew together for a very long time. And if things became too peaceful, if there wasn't enough chaos, I was going to create some. Yep. And I always wondered why there was so much chaos. <laughs> because his need for chaos was bigger than my need for chaos. I had a need for chaos, but it wasn't as big. And and so I was always just like, why can't we get this right? Why can't our finances work? You know, like we're always buying like new speakers or... <laughs> you know, an instrument or a microphone, or, you know, we never get a couch. <laughs> yeah. we, these, these things would happen and, um, you know, we would move at the drop of a hat. It was such a roller coaster, but roller coasters are fun. <laughs> you know, we went to Europe for eight weeks when we were married, like, a year. A year. With no real plan. No real plan, no money. Oh, that sounds so fun. We were going on tour, but we hadn't set up anything past the first show and we had no booking agency we were completely out of our depth and there were some wonderful things and certainly we learned a lot some of that we could have learned you know by reading (laughs) that sounds exciting though man well it it is and excitement was the name of the game because when i'm in active addiction excitement is what i want and you know the the flip side of it uh i hear you saying kind of like wow like why is our life so chaotic 
But for all of our listeners out there to recognize it's a two-sided coin to say, why would you seek a relationship that was always chaotic? Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think if I had not been chaotic, you wouldn't have found me attractive. No. I needed somebody that was going to get me out of my comfort zone Mm -hmm. and push my boundaries. And he pushed my boundaries. (laughs) You found the one who was a manipulative addict. And he pushed my boundaries. And I let him. And I manipulated him, too. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think it might be important maybe to touch on the fact that you were also in your own addiction. Absolutely. And that how much we enabled each other. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing we stayed together through those first 10 years. Well, the first six years, we went to almost weekly therapy. Okay. um, With a great therapist who about once a year would bring up addiction. (laughs) say like, oh, I was working with this one client who had sex addiction and kind of described things and I would go like, oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not sure why you're telling me this, but okay. Looking back, uh, and I got back in contact with her 20 years later. And I was like, so I'm in recovery now. She's like, oh, good. (laughs) Like, she saw it all along. She knew what was up, but she also knew, like a good therapist, good social worker, there was no point in in pushing something on someone who was not ready to hear Mm -hmm. it. But we've gotten to see that contrast in our relationship of moving out of that constant need for chaos. And I'm not going to say that went away, snap, yep. the day we got in recovery. <laughs> no. <Not even close>. <laughs> <laughs> I was still that guy in recovery who would, like our finances were going too well, so I'd trade in the car. Yep. Yeah. Good job. Oh, Good yeah. Job. That sounds oh, yeah. It's funny. It's the American dream. Yeah. Right. It's funny, man, that you say that. It is Because, like, we're, we're doing well, and I overspend, and we have money, which is the crazy thing. And then we'll go into, like, this weird spiral of I can't move this money here, and I can't move money there. And then I, I want to invest, and I'll take all the money from my own, and I move over here, and I... It's a balancing act for matter, both of us. Matter of fact, it's like we were talking about that. It's like we're growing together, and luckily we ha- we're doing so well. That it's like we have this cushion to make mistakes. But what was it a year before I trusted us with the account to do an account? That was a really tough trial in our relationship. It- to bond the money, you talk about step work and recovery. It's like I'm recovering, like you, like you, Casey. I'm recovering from more than this drugs and alcohol. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. No, I, I did join a program around money, mm. and I will say that when I took over the family finances, and uh, this is around the time shortly after we moved uh, to Texas, where we live now, and I opened up a local bank account, mm. and. I had to break it to my lovely wife, who had run the family finances for 24 years by herself, uh-huh. with me being completely enabled, not paying any attention, just mommy, can we spend money kind of thing, right? Um, Which is how it felt. Yeah, totally. And again, that's the dynamic we picked. Uh, I, I ran the finances previous to that for one month, and then Kira was like, good job, give me all that stuff back. <laughs> yeah. I so, could not let go of yeah. the control yeah. on that. It was painful. I felt sick to my stomach. So when I took over the finances, I opened up a bank account and I said, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to put you on the account for a year. Uh, wow. I don't even remember that. Yeah. I, I, I just wouldn't sign you onto the account because wow. I did not trust either one of us with money because our track record had been so addictive mm-hmm. and so bad yeah. that every month the bank account got down to like $5, $10. And we planned that way. <laughs> Like Kira would show me this list of figures. Oh, by the way, on the 13th, we'll have $5 in the account. I'd be like, is there something wrong with this picture? I'm not sure. Oh, that's okay. I'm just going to ignore it because that was my thing. I'm just going to ignore it, right? Make it go away. In uh, one of the recovery programs I work around money, they call that vagueness. (laughs) And just living in vagueness all the time. And the opposite of that in recovery would be clarity. And I found that that applies to all kinds of things in relationships. Getting out of vagueness, getting into clarity. What are we talking about? What emotion is actually happening right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to say, what happens in vagueness stays. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. All this time, I've been in the program for years, and I've never heard anybody say oh that. But that is, I'm going to steal that line right that there. Was beautiful. All right, that was amazing. One of the things he loves about me. One of the many things, yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so 
So I want to touch, uh, when we talked a year ago, uh, we kind of said, hey, what kind of plans do you have for 2021? And tomorrow you're like, oh man, it's gonna be like a party in 2021 when COVID's over and we're gonna travel and it's gonna be great. And um, so we were kind of looking at like, you know, expectations when Gary's in relationships like, hmm. But I want to kind of check because at the time you said like goals you had in 2021, you did want to travel, wanted to meet each other's families more or maybe at all. There were sobriety milestones coming up, and tomorrow you talked about one of those, which is amazing and fantastic. There was going to be your first wedding anniversary, like all kinds of things. What has that been like for you? So I will start. <laughs> I will start by saying we have gotten to travel, not everywhere we wanted to, but that's been really, really fulfilling, I guess. It's been really exciting and fun and just just really nice. We've celebrated a lot this year. So even though we didn't get the celebration we were looking for, you know, or we had in mind, when we got married, we expected like a year or two down the road, we'll have a celebration for the wedding, but it just keeps looking like maybe that's not in the cards for us, you know? But we had our first wedding anniversary was beautiful. We also celebrated our third year of when we met anniversary and we made that a whole celebration and um and we got each other gifts for that day and it was just we've had a lot of fun this year i think we've really celebrated each other and one thing is is we stay in gratitude a lot can you kind of talk about some of the experiences you've had over the last year and where your recovery informed those experiences in how you supported each other and how you worked your recovery individually and together Okay, I'll start on that one. So I'm a big believer that God does things right on time. And so it always seems to me when I'm going through something or when things get tough, sponsees just come out of the sky. They start falling out of nowhere. And uh, it's the same with tomorrow. And um, one thing that we do that I I really respect her for, and I ain't going to lie, Casey, I got kind of jealous one time. She has a good sponsee. They're tight. And I'm like, she just kept shoving me to the side for a sponsee. And I understand, man. Like, um, <laughs> she'll go in there and close the door, and they'll, like, they'll do their, they'll work on their set work. And I'm just like, what? But, I mean, I, I joke at the same time. I'm just, it's so, it's so refreshing that I have a, a woman that's, like, after her recovery and after God more than me, right? And I'm not, like, the primary codependent focus of her life. And we were talking about, we have a friend who, um, his girlfriend is pretty much putting her life in his hands. Like, if you break up with me, I'm going to relapse. So, you know, it's like this recovery stuff can get super heavy. It can get stressful. And we have to make sure that we maintain that focus on God, right? Period. Like, she comes secondary to God in my recovery. I come secondary to God in her recovery. And that all sounds fine and dandy. Until me and Casey talked about this today, until fear gets all over you, mm. right? And then where do you stand? And then God starts sending sponsees. I'm like, thank you, right? That last week that we talked about Casey, sponsees fell from the sky. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's like for me, trying to balance life when life gets lifey, when I get in fear, when uh, things aren't going my way, and trying to keep that recovery first. Man, I think that's gonna be a challenge until I, you know what I'm saying, until I roll on. I don't know how to follow that. Um, (laughs) I was just thinking, um, the sponsees example is really, really good. You know, we both came into this relationship being very well established in the AA community and just in our own recovery. And we have, uh, for the most part, not on purpose, but we kept it separate because we already had our own lifelines. And it wasn't that we didn't want to divert, but there was no need for us to put it all together um, because we had a good thing going for both of us. Now, every now and then we do overlap our recovery. We'll go to meetings together every now and then. Um, we have a lot of mutual friends, you know, and but yeah, we had our own established recovery and then just bringing that into the relationship just it just made everything flow so smoothly for us. It's like we can see things a lot more clearly than in our addiction. And so 
we will notice like one of us or both of us will get a bad attitude and like we'll we'll kind of point it out to the other one and we'll kind of try to break it down instead of just be like you know you're being a jerk i'm leaving you know like we'll break it down with each other like well what's going on but it doesn't have to be like a whole counseling session we'll just we'll talk about it a little bit and, and inevitably it always seems like we get so involved in our own lives we step away from god a little bit and we we step away from our recovery as well over time in our relationship just um, having to i think reevaluate these things periodically i think it strengthened our relationship with um with each other and with our higher power one thing i know we're both really really dedicated to is praying we we wake up in the morning we get on our knees and we pray we we go to bed at night we we get on our knees and pray before we go to bed and we really encourage each other you know brian will be too tired to get out of bed and and i'll you know i'll push him out of bed you know um and he'll do the same with me and we'll we'll, we'll tease each other about it and we really just encourage each other to be better and that all comes from recovery in the recovery world and everything that's very cool i know for us of course we had a little bit of a different experience because again we started together in addiction and then um 10 years in when again i'm sort of the more obviously and overtly addictive chaotic person in the relationship neither one of us really suspected that kira had any problem going on so when i first got in recovery there was this kind of like, wait, you need to go to meeting every week? Mm-hmm. Like for real? Like how, how long is this going to go on? <laughs> I'm so embarrassed by that. <laughs> well, it's just looking it's, back. It's the reality. And I don't want to put this out there again for any of our listeners where, first of all, somebody in the relationship gets in recovery first, right? I think it's fairly rare in my experience that both people in a relationship wake up one day and say, boy, we need to get sober right now, right? Mm-hmm. Usually one person is and the other person is like, oh, I'm not so sure about the sobriety or you really have to do this or I liked you better in your addiction. I mean, there's all kinds of variations, but for the people out there listening where one of the partners right now is listening going like, yeah, I do have a problem when he or she goes to meetings all the time. So there I am going to meetings and then one day I come home and I'm like, uh, you know, I think I need to start going to like two meetings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was hard. Right? <laughs> that was very hard. I felt very abandoned. Oh. I remember the first time when I had to say like, well, I know everyone wants to go out to eat, but I have to go to a meeting. And that was a hard conversation to have because we like to go out to eat, man. That was like a source of a lot of our spending bonding time. We used to say only semi-jokingly that every important decision we made was made at a restaurant. Because mm-hmm. it was. Because it was. That's, <laughs> yeah. you know, food's one of those yeah. things. And I'm a food addict and I wasn't in recovery at that time. Oh. So telling me I didn't get to go out to dinner was really... Um, no kidding. Bummer. Difficult. It's a big deal. Yes. So we're going along like that for about three years where I'm the identified patient. I'm like the one with the problem. And then one day, Kira came home. You've been crying. And I was like, what's up? What happened for me is my mom knows all these healers and stuff. And she had sent me to this guy who's a chiropractor, but he also does other healing modalities. And I consulted with him and he said, the first thing is I'm gonna put you on a, a two week sugar detox. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take out all the sugar. You're gonna read labels. You're not gonna eat any fruit. And I'm like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so he said, well, okay, I'll do some tapping. So he did some tapping on my head and it did help. And I did stay off sugar for three weeks. And at three and a half weeks, I was supposed to be adding sugar, right? Just little tiny bits, right? So I put like a teaspoon and a half of sugar in my tea at work. Mm -hmm. And 20 minutes later, I was explaining to my boss that I needed to go to the liquor store right now. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I would have been willing to be fired. That is how serious I was about getting a candy bar. Wow. After a teaspoon and a half of sugar. Mm -hmm. So... She came home and said, I was sitting in my car crying even this candy bar because I couldn't stop. Because mm. I found that I had lost the power of choice and didn't know it. Wow. And so she said, for the first time in our relationship, I think maybe I need to go to a meeting too. Mm-hmm. And even though we were looking at very different programs and all that kind of stuff, I luckily, and here's the upside of being in recovery for three years at that point, 
is that I was able to say, good for you. That sounds good. Get to it. And then we had to work on me not being the guy with three years of recovery who can tell you all about it. I know we talked about this when we talked last year, but not being each other's sponsor, not being Mr. Recovery. Not being each other's higher power. Oh boy, because <laughs> as a sex and love addict, she was my higher power. And he was my higher power. Mm -hmm. So if she liked me, then I was good. And if she was upset with me, then I wasn't. And you know, that can sound really sweet in a pop song, but in reality, it makes for a terrible relationship because it leads to a lot of manipulation and a lot of dishonesty. Mm -hmm. And so we both had to learn how to not do that anymore, having done it already. All my previous relationships were like high school. So this is my entire like life romantic history, more or less right here. Wow. Right when you were talking, I was thinking about that exact dynamic because we came into the relationship having lived through the codependence, having lived through the chaos that we inflicted upon our, our, our partners. I think she told me some of her stories. I told me some of mine. Y'all did the same thing, but your relationship just evolved. I think that's amazing, man, that y'all stayed together through that. That's, that's pretty cool. I Casey. do too. That's amazing. Yeah. Therapy and meetings, let me tell you. <laughs> Because we did, like I said, we did six years of individual and couples counseling when we first got together. Mm -hmm. My mother-in-law very presciently looked at us and said, you know what? Before you even get married, I'll pay for you to go to therapy. Wow. <laughs> wow. I think maybe she was like crossing her fingers that it would break us up. <laughs> it broke up my last engagement. That's oh. true. It, 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 it scared off the last boyfriend. Wow. And, but here's the thing. I heard that story. Oh, you had told me the story of like, oh, the last guy went to like one therapy appointment. He wouldn't go back. And I'm like, note to self, whether you like therapy or not, you keep going. <laughs> so I kept going. Eventually I like caught on like, okay, this is cool. I'm learning from it. It's great. <laughs> well, after about six years, we're like, cool. I think we're, we're therapized. We did what, you know, the heads are shrunk. We did what we needed to do. Yeah. And so four years later, now I'm in recovery and it's a whole other level. And I got into recovery. You know, my story is that I went to go see the therapist and I wasn't even going for me in my mind. I was going because I wanted to get a professional consultation, catch this, on how to cheat on my wife with her knowledge and keep our marriage together. Cause I knew I didn't want to leave, leave her. I didn't want to lose her. Yeah. But I also knew that in my mind, I could not be monogamous. We had that conversation. I was a good sex and love addict who didn't even know it was an addiction. Just, I thought my addiction was was who I am. And I was just like, yep. really sorry, I can't be monogamous. I'm gonna talk to this therapist. Yep. And guess who I go to? Brilliant. I went to my mother-in-law for a recommendation because she was so good at recommending <laughs> practitioners. So I'm basically going to say, hey, can you recommend a good person so I can learn how to cheat on your daughter? <laughs> story. Oh my God. Our old therapist who was awesome had moved to New York and so we couldn't see her anymore. Oh, so yeah, she was she was out of the picture and my mother-in-law beautifully and wisely didn't go, what? Yeah. She said, I think I know somebody. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what you say. So wow. she sent me to somebody really good. And in the first 10 minutes, she said, have you ever heard of sex addiction? I'm like, no, but oh man, now that you said that out loud, all the pieces fell into place. Wow. So I did another three years of therapy. Having done all that therapy before, I'm like, it wasn't like starting over, but it was like switching into a much higher gear of like, now I get to deal with all this therapeutic stuff that was completely out of reach when I was in my active addiction. Wow. I just want to point out <laughs> that I've heard you say this before, Casey, where our second therapist said, have you heard of sex addiction? And the fact is you had heard of sex addiction. Mm -hmm. You had blocked it out, but the first therapist had mentioned it pretty much every year for six years. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But but you didn't, you just... Well, you're not ready to hear what you're not ready to hear. Yeah. yeah, so it certainly, I'm sure you were being completely honest when you said no. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. my ears had fingers in them. Right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, man, that's amazing how, like, we're at the same point, but y'all have been together. For, how long have y'all been together, Casey? We've been together 33 years, but we've been married 32 and a half out of those. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Which also tells you how quickly a pair of sex and love addicts can get married. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah. yeah. So you do the math. We are the exception as far as like staying married. Right. We are the exception. We did not have, I would not have recommended that we get married going back, you know, to another couple in the same position because I think the odds were just stacked against us. Mm-hmm. Our therapist, oh God, I love her so much. She, she said she cried at our wedding because just didn't know how it was going to turn out. Who knows what's going to happen to these crazy kids. The fact that your therapist was at your wedding is, that's, that's beautiful. That's true. Yeah, yeah. She was rooting for us, no doubt. Yeah, she was definitely rooting for us. She had a lot to do with the fact that we're still together, but that combination of therapy and recovery fellowships, I can't speak highly enough Mm -hmm. for any of our listeners out there. What a difference that made. Without that, I have no doubt we would not be together. And I can only imagine the two of you, if either one of you, let alone both of you, had not found recovery. Let's just put it this way. At a different time in my life, it would have been bad. He would have ate me up. Yeah, it would have been bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I probably would have caused a lot of damage to her. The last relationship I was in was like, my chaos level was here, and the girl, her chaos level was like, like Super Saiyan. Goku, flaming hair, Super Saiyan. <laughs> And so I was not ready for the chaos he was bringing. So after getting my, for lack of better words, ass kicked, uh, I found this beautiful woman and it was just like right on time. And I was ready for her and I was ready to treat her how she needed to be treated. And I'm kind of uh, rewinding back to one of your points about therapy and recovery. There's something like hardliners who say, if the steps will cure everything. And I'm like, okay. But there are some people, man, where uh, the steps just aren't enough, man. You know, and I'm a, I'm a big proponent of therapy, uh, medically assisted therapy, whatever's going to get you to an equilibrium where you can live happy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, definitely go for it. Don't let anybody tell you how to be happy and what you should or shouldn't do. When you find a formula that's working for you, you're your best advocate and you're your best barometer for how you're feeling. And I, I think a lot of people fall victim. And even with relationships, like your relationship shouldn't look like this. Or you shouldn't be doing that. And it's like, but I'm happy doing it, right? Um, or say you shouldn't be on meds. It's like, man, how can you tell me how I feel when I feel okay right now? Taking too many suggestions past my equilibrium can be harmful. That's just mm-hmm. my opinion, though. And tomorrow, kind of to, to kind of circle back around to that idea, you know, Brian was saying, well, he wasn't ready. And you said, man, he would have eaten me up. But I got to wonder before recovery, or even at the beginning of your recovery, mm-hmm. would you have been looking for a relationship where somebody really treated you well? I know we'd all say we were. Oh, no, no, oh, no, no, not at all, no. Brian, in his addiction, was the man for me. That would have been the bad boy that I chased after. And we would have had a mutually um, horrible relationship with each other. We would have loved each other like crazy. He would have taken advantage of me and swallowed me up and spit me out. And I would have been coming back to him asking for more. Like, well, what do I have to do different? Um, It wasn't until um, I got in recovery until I, I got sober and I um, I had some time being single, I guess. I don't know what it was, but it just, something started to click for me and I recognized that the type of man, that all of the men that I had dated or been interested in in my life, they all had so many similarities. And I, I wrote down the similarities, all the bad traits. As I started to get sober and, you know, um, meet different guys or whatever, I would recognize if they had these traits, then they were probably not a good match for me. And and so the people I started to find myself finding interest in were people that were, for lack of a better word, um, not as interesting, <laughs> you know? When I started to hear guys talk about um, just nerdy stuff, I was like, that's sexy, you know? Like, yeah. like there was just <laughs> different... It was a different dynamic because I realized that what I had been chasing after was disaster and I didn't want that in my life. Brian has has everything. He he literally is everything I ever wanted in a man. But at the same time where, you know, he had to get to this point to be able to treat me a certain way, I had to get to a certain point where um, being in his vicinity without the chaos 
became attractive to me. That's beautiful. And I want to touch on something. I'm going to give away one of my big trade secrets. This is this is how it is that we came to be together and why the relationship lasts, in my personal opinion. So I did take a little bit of single time. Not everybody is great at like that. Let's take time away from relationships. Kira's gesturing that that is not her, which is true. I, I was the last overlap of relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but I had taken about six months off relationships, which is a huge deal for me. Like I remember curling up on the floor in the fetal position. It was so difficult to be single. Yeah. But there I was, and I like I had figured out the common denominator thing, right? Like all the people I'm attracted to have certain traits. The biggest one of which is me. I am the common denominator <laughs> in all my relationships, right? So I, I come to that similar conclusion. If I find somebody attractive, they're already bad news. But I didn't know what to do about it. So I took this six months off. I tried religion. I tried complete atheism. Uh, when I met Kira, she kind of reintroduced me to some spirituality. But through all of that, it never occurred to me to like, ask anyone for help. But I'm doing a bunch of self-expression trying to figure this out. And the conclusion I finally came to is that the litmus test, the one thing on my trait list of people I'm looking for is somebody willing to work on themselves and work on the relationship. If you don't meet that test, there's no second date. There's nothing to talk about. And on that basis, I dated her roommate first because her roommate standing in the dorm rooms had said something where I was like, oh, that sounds like maybe she's like, that at the time I would have used the word enlightenment. She was looking for enlightenment. So we went out on a date and was like, nope, fluke. Okay, never <laughs> mind. So in the meantime, Kira and I start writing songs together. And then we'd be like talking after songwriting sessions the overlap thing is going on. So she's dating somebody else. I'm like, oh, okay. And the funny thing is she mentioned that this guy was suicidal. And I thought, oh, she likes people like that. Well, obviously she's not mentioned me because <laughs> she likes people who have problems. So <laughs> this is true. This is high comedy. So well, that was very interesting. <laughs> but we were like chatting. And at the same time, she was talking about big things like going to therapy and working on herself and hmm. dissecting her relationship with her family. And I was like, huh, there's something there. So my adolescent brain was just sort of optimistically thinking, well, if we have that, we can get through anything. Mm -hmm. nice. And the fact is we've had rough spots, ups and downs, times where we thought we're not gonna stay together. And yet it always came back down to the basic contract of the relationship is we're both willing to work. And for all that sort of teenage optimism, it turned out to be true. Mm -hmm. Here we are 33 years later, the momentum is definitely with us staying together and staying in this relationship because we're willing to do that. And I see that same spirit in both of you. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to invite you back onto the show. Man, thank, thank you. you. Man, it is our pleasure doing this one. So I'll tell you what, we're going to take a quick break and then we will be back with more. Among our sponsors, the most important one is you. If you like what we're doing in addiction and the family, here are some ways you can help support it and carry the message further. If you haven't read Casey's book, Realistic Hope, The Family Survival Guide for Facing Alcoholism and Other Addictions, it is now available in paperback on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online retailers. It's also available on Kindle, Nook, and Apple Books. If you have read it, tell a friend, family member, or anyone you meet who might benefit from its message. If you feel so inspired, please write a review on Amazon or any of the other retailers. Last but not least, we are on Patreon under Addiction and the Family. Thanks for all your support. We couldn't do this without you. Welcome back. All right, we're going to finish up that conversation with Brian and Tamara. Here we go. Well, for the purposes of this episode, we're going to start moving towards wrap up. So I'm going to give everyone just sort of like a one minute summary of what you would want to say to listeners out there about being in relationship in recovery together. You want to go first? Okay, go first. I'll go first. So put your higher power and your recovery first above all else. As long as 
is you continue to do the next right thing for yourself and for each other, like you can't go wrong. I think the glue that's held us together more than love is really just having a mutual respect for each other and each other's recovery and just being kind to each other and, um, and just living in gratitude. Um, we reflect constantly on, on how lucky we are to be in the position that we are with each other, that the stars align to put us in each other's lives at the time that we were put in each other's lives. Beautiful. Thanks, Brian, one minute, go. Man, I, I would say if you find somebody and they're in recovery, and especially if you're in early recovery, trust your instincts, man. If you if you see that they're doing wrong things or not right living, or it's just like little bitty things that are off to you, chances are those are red flags and they'll probably show up later in the future. Um, never be scared to pull the eject seat. I tell people this, um, even though I, I love my baby to death, sometimes I, I talk to my dad and we calibrate. Like the, I had to do it the other week when I had a, a, a rough week during finals week. I said, dad, why did I come here? Why did I come to uh, San Antonio again? Hmm. Right? And I came here to get sober, man. I didn't come for my wife. I didn't come for the job. I didn't come for school. And when I boil it down to the basics, I'm in this life to stay sober and stay out of prison. That's my baseline. And so I would always say, man, whenever first world problems and these things get too out of control with your relationship or anything, boil it down to the basics and ask yourself, why am I here? What is my main goal I'm trying to accomplish? And if you stay about your purpose, you attract a mate who is about their purpose. Beautiful. Here. You guys are very wise. <laughs> <laughs> I love giving advice. I really do. So <laughs> advice I'll give will apply to myself um, as well as everybody else, as it always does. First of all, obviously, don't be afraid to ask for help. You guys know that. We know that. Didn't always know that. <laughs> and the other thing is uh, something that I've been dealing with recently is with my mental health issues, I uh, became even less able than usual to just be in the moment, be in the now. And this is a lifelong thing that just got worse the last couple of years. So I started looking at where am I being in the moment and how am I feeling about that? And where am I trying to escape? And I found out like even sex was an escape. I wasn't having sex to be closer to somebody. Mm. I was close to somebody and then I got to have sex with them but sex was all about that high mm -hmm. and food was about the high and if I wasn't getting high I probably wasn't happy and so every once in a while I'd be in, in what they call flow and music helped me with that. Mm -hmm. Music was a big one for me where I could just be in the moment when I was making music or listening to music or writing music and I got to do that with Casey which is Part of the reason I was so attracted to him is because I got to have that feeling while I was with him. Mm -hmm. And it made me want to be with him more, in addition to his charming personality and being smart and funny and <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and of course, he's a sex addict, love avoidant with anger issues and abandonment issues. And I just totally nice. go for that, or did. Yeah, being in the moment is something that I have not been good at. And so, that's what I'm working on now. And so I guess that's the advice I'll give is check and see if you're being in the moment. It's good for your recovery yeah. and your life. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, and I'm going to say, man, you're all saying really, really cool stuff. So I've already made my point about looking for someone and trying to be someone who's willing to work on themselves and work on the relationship. But I also want to say to really, as much as possible, give space and patience and compassion and kindness to yourself and to your partner in this journey. Because I was not tapping my foot waiting for my wife to get into recovery. You know, while I was in recovery three years, I was just being the problem child who was trying to not be the problem child. But when she joined the program, I was able to say, okay, this is yours and let me give you space. And man, it can be tempting to say like, why aren't you working on the issue I want you to work on? Well, that's not the deal, man. That's not how it works. 
and to recognize if I feel powerless over something, that they may feel equally powerless over the thing they're doing. So just like they can't snap their fingers and tap their foot, wait for me to just change, same thing goes the other way around. I'm not going to snap my fingers and tap my foot, wait for them to change in the way that I think they're supposed to change. To remember, I am not anyone else's higher power, but also to take those moments, especially with two people in recovery, whether it's one person in AA, the other person in Al-Anon, or one person in smart recovery, the other one's in smart family and friends, whatever it is that that looks, looks like, to be able to share those moments of recovery. And one thing I'll close with that we do pretty much every night is out of page 86 of the AA Big Book, we go through that inventory and we ask each other, part of our bedtime routine, were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves? It should be shared with another person at once. Were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking mostly of ourselves or were we thinking of others and what we get back into the stream of life? Mm-hmm. And we each take the time to answer those questions and we do not give each other feedback or commentary what we hear. We just bear witness to the other person's recovery and hold the space for them. And then we tuck into bed. And it's a beautiful way to end the night to be able to share something like that in recovery, to just hold the space for recovery without comment. And that's something big we've learned as we went along. So I can't thank you guys enough for coming back on the show. This has been wonderful. We'll have to do it again next year. Yes. 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 We're looking forward. You're our first people to be on the podcast twice. Yes. We win. Yes. Yes. We do. Because you're special. Yes. Pretty cool. Yes. And there you have it. That is our conversation with Brian and Tamara. What a pleasure this has been. Alrighty. See y'all next time, folks. Thanks for being with us through another episode of Addiction and the Family. As they say in many recovery meetings, take what you liked and leave the rest. Go out and explore the possibilities for recovery in your life and give your loved ones the space and dignity to make their own choices. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe. It means a lot to us. If you know anyone else who could use what we have to offer, please tell them about Addiction to the Family. If you have comments about this podcast, have a question you'd like to answer it on the show, or want to contribute your voice, or just want to say hi, you can write to us at addictionofthefamily at gmail.com. We're also happy to be your friend on Facebook, and we can be found tweeting on Twitter. Addiction in the Family is produced, written, and engineered by Kira and Casey Ariaga, with music by Casey.